scratch and smooth. Welcome fellow scratch and sniffers to the latest SNS Online. And today we start with a question. What does an actor, a stand-up comedian, a writer, a voiceover artist, a presenter, a blogger, a podcaster, and a Doctor Who fan? Yes, all have in common. Well, there's only one man in the known universe who can answer this. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the effervescent, I never knew he wasn't, Mr. Toby Hayden. So, Toby, welcome to Scratch and Sniff Online. We're very excited to have you here, a comedian and a Doctor Who fan. Yes, yes. Absolutely fantastic. And so many strings to your bow that obviously we'll try to pull it all together in, in the hour. I don't know, we'll be struggling a little bit because there's so much to talk about. Um, but we do have a very good tradition of supporting stand-up comedy. We've had uh, Helen Arnie, Celia Pecola, Philip Ragon, and in the Who world, there's Louise Jameson, Katie Manning, and Joe Lister, but never fused together like a beautiful, beautiful transporter accident in Star Trek, if I can talk dirty. So, um, so it's... It's great to have you here. Let's go to your childhood then and and talk about how a a British institution that is Doctor Who inspired you to take up comedy. Well, I I think it inspired me to take up acting first. Okay, right. But the the, the story still works. Sure. Um, Is that I I, uh, lived in the countryside in the middle of nowhere. I was the youngest of four kids. There's a year between kid one, two and three and then four years and then me. And my dad left when I was four, so the others were, what, eight, nine, ten, something like that. So mum had to go back to work. We lived in the middle of nowhere, so I had to go to... Uh, a charity paid for me to go to a boarding school which I didn't really fit in because they all had lots of you know they were all well off and we weren't I was I, I had pity taken on me so I never I didn't quite fit in there I didn't quite fit in at home because I'd come back at the weekends and the the three kids who were closer in age were also not at boarding school all week so I never I, I sort of never quite fitted in and also then when I was 11 mum uh, principled socialist that she is wanted me to you know come out of that boarding school if I could and and, and have a, a, a sort of more straightforward comprehensive education but mostly so that I would be at home rather than any, any anything to do with so so I, I went to a comprehensive at the age of 11 having done all that advanced mm. schooling at, at a at a prep school so didn't fit in again no absolutely I must say I escaped boarding school by a hair's breadth because my brothers and sisters all went to boarding school right because my dad was in the RAF but uh, luckily I managed to avoid it which I meant I had so much more access to TV and uh, Doctor Who Tomorrow People and all that. Well, I you did. And, and that's why I had to find these because I never quite I went from place to place not quite fitting in. And the delights of the countryside didn't really uh, draw me in the way that my, my brother went out and shot things and my brother <laughs> played rugby. And, 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 and I yeah, sort way. of, I, I had this world of Doctor We had Doctor Who books lying around the house. And um, and so when Doctor Who wasn't on, I read the Doctor Who stories and imagined what they would be like. And, and I learned the names of the actors so that when I was reading the stories, I could imagine what the characters looked like. So that meant I looked on cast lists of television programmes to try and spot the name of an actor that had been in Doctor Who. And so that's how I got interested in actors, and that's why I then started going to theatres to meet those actors, and they were usually in Shakespeare plays. So I got interested in Shakespeare, and and Doctor Who did what it does to, as it's an age-old story, to a lot of people is that it inspired them to look beyond Doctor Who and to find other things. And and I think Doctor Who is as responsible for my education and any ability I have with the English language and any general (laughs) knowledge I have, more so than any schooling I ever had.
did you train to be an actor? Yeah, know, well, yes, I did. I did. Uh, I sort of. I had a double thing. I did. I did an academic degree and I did a practical acting thing as well. So mm-hmm. I, I covered both bases. It's it's something you can't do anymore at the same time. So yeah, I thought it would be tights and swords for me. <laughs> for a um, but uh, when I finished my education, I found myself. I was in Manchester, and I'd started doing a little bit of stand-up before I finished. Right. And um, a few foolish people had offered me twenty quid here and there to to do to do gigs. So when I finished, uh, the plan had been to move to London and maybe do a postgrad at a London drama school and do it like that. And mm. I didn't have any money, and some people were giving me twenty pounds now and again. So I stayed in Manchester, and I did sort of waste my time for a, a year or two in sort of post-university mm. thumb twiddling, but saying to people I'm a stand-up comedian you know because I gig every sort of six weeks or something um, and then I got a regular comparing gig at a comedy club that's still running to this day and so without any ambition to do stand-up but it you was sort performance of fell into it, I fell I into it and do you still define yourself as an actor principally um Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, if I, I, I think I put on my, on my website, actor, stand up comedian, actor, writer, stand up comedian, which actually in terms of what I do the most of, it's probably the other way around. No, I've, uh, um, and certainly given the choice to prioritize, I would always prioritize an acting job over, over mm. stand up work. Mm. I think I'm better at it, to be honest, but I think stand up is a bit more of a meritocracy in that if you're any good, you work. And I work regularly. I could pick and choose my work as a stand up. Which act- is wonderful. Whereas yeah. acting, you, you, the, you're prey to other mm. forces more so, I would say. But it's hardly the same as like working in a sales job that you can dip in them out. I mean, you're Absolutely. doing something rather successful and creative in its own right. It's can't, not I, like you're selling out. Oh, no. I count <laughs> myself extremely lucky. And, um, you know, and I've got, I've, I've got okay at it over the years. I think because I had no ambition to do it. I, I didn't do what a lot of young comics do is, you know, think I'm going to take over the world and win the Perrier. I was just quite mm. chuffed that people were asking me to do it. Mm. And so over the years, so uh, over the years, I, I you know, I, I honed the skill without necessarily um, chasing it. I was doing a radio drama the past couple of days and we were talking with, with the cast in the green room. Mm. And the fact that I haven't had to do a proper job ever, I did a bit of waiting on tables early back in the day, but I've never had a pr- proper job or another profession. And the fact that I've not had to do and that and been self-employed all, all this time, I, I consider well, it's magnificent. A, 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 an, a, yeah, a bonus, an achievement. And I must say that I'm just looking at some of your reviews here. I'm talking about your stand-up comedy. Very, very funny, The Guardian, simply put. Um, Likeable, self-depreciating and armed with impeccable timing. Who timing. that? Uh, the Dubliner. This is on your website, sir. Oh, um, yes, that's a, a very nice review from Offset, my Doctor Who's uh, A yes. comedy genius, Metro. And finally, Eddie Izzard fused with a wrath of Tony Hancock. Uh, that's actually me saying that, because I um, I watched you uh, in the Edinburgh Fringe, and I was, I was so impressed. I went up to you. I mean, you won't remember. It was years ago. But that was my take on it. Eddie Izzard. Fused, fused with, with the wrath of Tony Hancock. What, what publication no, it's meant did in you a put good that way. in? I didn't put it in any. I've just said it to you. Oh, now. brilliant! Well, I like it. No, Thanks. Quote it. Quote it. Quote Scratch it. and sniff online said this. I will. And I mean it. The bottom of my heart. Very good. I remember good. watching. Perhaps it was partially, you know, the hat reminding me of Tony Hancock a bit. Hancock's offer. The, the whole, name is quite similar. Yeah, yeah, but just the whole there was anger there, but only against the baddies or the you know the non-believers who weren't allowing us to experience the love and indeed the innocence of being a Doctor Who fan. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I'd like the Tony Hancock thing particularly because I, I, I quite like the comedy of the underdog. I'm not... I'm yes, not, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'm turned off performers who go on who are 
confident, perhaps because mm. deep down I'm not massively confident myself. And I know that sounds odd coming from somebody who stands no, up in front no, of strangers. No, not to me. But, not to me, but, um, but uh, so I, I've always been attracted to myself. And I think, you know, you take a long time to learn it as a stand-up, but actually do, you know, sit in a skin you are comfortable with. The more layers you put on, the more bogus you appear and therefore the less people empathise with you. And I think the art of being a good stand-up is to strip away all those barriers you put up and, and distill a sort of more honest version of yourself uh, whilst of course being funny and doing all of that <laughs> and i and i i am drawn to you know losers because maybe that's what i feel like so therefore i i think i think <laughs> i with you, i but... think the comedy that i do works best when the butt of the jokes is generally me or the things that have gone wrong and and people seem to go with that but you do you do sort of go through very you metamorph as you, I was thinking about some of the stuff I used to do when I started out. I cringe and go, "What? What did I say that for?" And uh, and I think it takes it takes a comic like me anyway. I always use a cricket analogy. You got your Kevin Petersons, who are people who are just like Peter Kay, who are just naturally gifted, mm. who just go boom and are you know pretty much formed because what's funny about them is is their innate funniness. Yeah. For, uh, there's a lesser known comic who I think is brilliant called Seymour Mace who who is a brilliant circuit comic who is like that. He, he just goes on saying he looks a bit like Professor Brainstorm and he's a Geordie who looks like he spent the night in a hedge and he's just <laughs> and he's just funny, Seymour. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I am more of a sort of Paul Collingwood who has fewer, this is a cricket analogy, has fewer perhaps uh, innate skills than say a Kevin Peterson but on my day can dig down and graft it out using what I've got through Stubbornness and hard work. <laughs> well Terrific performance, old boy. And also, I would say with your, your one of the reasons I compared you with Eddie Izzard is I found Eddie Izzard's humour is very innocent and it's not really attacking people. It, 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 you know, he'll, he'll, he'll go off into tangents about squirrels and uh, mm. it'll be quite sweet, really. I think if you're having a go, there seems to be a very justified reason. Yes, that's a change. I mean, I used to be a very angry young man and I think on stage but, and well, off Perhaps it. I haven't caught all your stuff. <laughs> no, I, no, I think it's since I did, since I did my, my Doctor Who scuff, my, my Edinburgh show, where we made the decision, and I, I'm talking about my, my friend and director now, Mark Atwood, um, to one, not swear because I was going to be talking about Doctor Who. So that takes a lot of your ass. <laughs> As a, as a club stand-up <laughs> out um, and also because I was talking about Doctor Who there is anger in that first show but I think oh no it's, definitely but it's, it's 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 in the right direction I think yeah no absolutely I don't don't feel you know we could talk about Kate Lauder if you want <laughs> <laughs> uh, but mean, the second was, show is justified revenge but the, the, the second show is interesting because when I, I I did both shows last year and obviously the first show was six six or so years old mm. and there were certain bits where I thought I don't know why I'm so angry I, I think I've mellowed a bit mm. um, and I actually quite like now, I mean, I, I compare a lot, so I sometimes need to be harsh. Mm. But actually, it's much better if it's coming from somebody who's quite affable. That mm. if I say quite nicely to somebody who's drunk or rude a couple of times, mm. that I'm doing this in a nice way, mm. and they still don't get the message, yeah. I can then do it in a really horrible way. Yeah. But I don't, I don't turn the audience off because I've established that I'm all right and I'm not just a no, nasty absolutely. person, yeah. and that I've had to do something to shut this person mm. up. Mm. So it's quite a useful style to develop but certainly wasn't how I was early on yeah. and I think friends of mine when I started doing quite well people who come see a lot of my gigs quite liked it when I when I ranted <laughs> um, and there's something about a middle class man getting red in the face about trivia that is <laughs> in, innately funny and I still do that but it's it's more but it's now it is it's more against it I know the mm. joke is on me mm. do you know what but I mean but I see it as a life affirming cry and wanting to go in the right direction but being held back by I mean let's talk about 
if that's okay, another aspect of your life that you have worked into your stand-up comedy, psoriasis as well, and how you've, you've, you've sort of empowered yourself by talking about it and... Uh, yeah, thanks for noticing that, because none of the reviews of any of my Edinburgh shows, and I've mentioned it in all three, I've noticed this because it was Psoriasis Awareness Week last week, and yes. I've, I've had Woman's Hour in touch with me about various other things because they're at Media City and I'm around the corner from Manchester mm. and I'm always at the BBC. And so you think, oh, I've got these various contacts now, so when it comes to Psoriasis Awareness Week, mm. I can cash them all in. I've done a few things for this morning as well. And nothing, because it's not... It, it, eczema has a better agent, mm. I think. Or uh, eczema. Uh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> oh, well spotted. Hey. Um, and I, uh, I, st- I mean, I think there's something cathartic about talking about uh, an illness anyway, but I have found with the blog, I just thought I'd do a, a blog t- as well, which is very personal, which doesn't have any answers or science, but, but talks about certainly the mental health aspect of psoriasis, yes, which absolutely. is very... Uh, under talked about and i actually wish there was somebody with a higher profile than me that that would do it because well, you're getting there though so that's fine what, what, so i've, I've but <clears> i've had a very um interesting time going to the house of parliament and, and i've had such very good care um that it's for me it's simply the payback my doctors have been they were particularly good with me last year and uh, i went through a couple of terrible episodes and mm. above and beyond i would defend the nhs to the hilt, oh, but I've, I've put it in the one-man shows, and it's 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 as I say, it's never that that's never been the aspect anyone has picked up upon. I'm, 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 fall, I'm falling apart. I um I uh, I, I suffer from uh, uh, I suffer from psoriasis. If you don't know what psoriasis is, it's, it's essentially it's eczema for middle-class people. <laughs> uh, but but it's, it, it enters every every facet of one's life. I uh, I used to go to the job centre, and they'd offer me an E45. Uh, I used to go and support the miners. Um, people kept shouting out, scab. Uh, and, um, I said to my mum, they're talking about my face. And she said, well, you will pick it. And it's, mm. it's sad that mm. something that affects 2% of the population um, and has great big ramifications doesn't seem to excite the media in the way that it might. Scratch and sniff. It's good, I'm Scottish. I'm Scottish. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. So let's talk about uh, moths then. I mean, I caught it at Edinburgh. Uh, the only time I've ever been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I found that the whole environment so exciting. I mean, was that your first gig in Edinburgh? And it, how, how do you find the scene up there? It was. Um... Edinburgh, it makes me feel ill. Um, it, <laughs> it was my first gig up there as a stand-up comic. I'd been and done plays as a sort of student actor or as a, you know, okay. that, you know, you all live out of a bag and you haven't got any money and, uh, you know, consider a packet of pistachios to be a square meal. Um, <laughs> I still know people who do that. Or then you do that thing of you go into the chip shop having got used to salt and sauce, which is a bit extra filling because it's got the sauce on and then you ask for it three weeks into the fringe and because you've got an English accent they assume you don't want it so they just give you salt and vinegar and and then you feel like a charlatan going (laughs) can I have salt and sauce please because you're not Scottish and so you go away not with what you want Um, and I wore a kilt did you? yeah a black kilt Oh my but it's, goodness. apparently, I was. I, though people were heckling me on the street, saying I didn't have it either above the knee or below the knee. I wasn't quite yeah, sure what. I did it in the wrong bit. Yeah, should have Facebooked Fraser Hines. <laughs> Absolutely. So sorry, you were saying. Uh, so yeah, mm. so I'd been up there before, um, but not as a stand-up, and I didn't go as a stand-up for a while because it goes back to that thing of having no ambition, really, and not thinking I was. 
I was ever going to be in that league. You know, I never thought I'd be a stand-up that would play the Comedy Store, for example. Um, when the Comedy Store came to Manchester, I just thought, well, you know, that's a step above me. And so I didn't chase it and gradually it happened. And I'm glad in a way because it meant that I did it when I was ready and I'm now a regular compare for them. Same with Edinburgh. I not have harboured no ambition to do it. I didn't think I was in that league. And then a couple of years before, I, I compare enough a night called New Stuff at the Comedy Store in Manchester. And Jason Manford and Alan Carr and Tom Bins and various comics who then went to Edinburgh and did very well, right. came and developed their shows. And it was interesting to see their shows develop at this new material night. And they used it for what it okay. was for. Mm. And they used it and worked very hard and developed and, and went to... I'm not saying that that night was responsible for them doing well, but it was just very interesting for me to note that comics I'd seen developing material went and they all got Perrier nominations. Some of them mm. won, blah de blah de blah and, and, and so I felt sort of slightly caught up in it because I was following their progress on the website Chortle and things like that and, and, and getting... Well, you're a, a Chortle get, Award nominee. Well, apparently. indeed, yes. Um, Best Compare 2012 uh, up against Susan Kalman. Hey, hey. Um, uh, uh, who is a, a, a yeah, fine compare, but also had a much bigger profile than me. <laughs> so for a couple of years, I was, getting, I was getting the feel for it and thinking I might quite like to do that. And I have a friend, Mark Atwood, who I referred to before, who, who ended up directing the show and we were at a barbecue for my son's birthday and it was raining because it was in Manchester and Mark is one of those people who has always got a brand new idea that he's really excited mm. about for two weeks whether it be <laughs> oh we've got it's got to be all be non-cooked food you've just got to eat raw or you know or th- this conspiracy theory or, or that whatever he, he he doesn't do anything without zeal I'll give him that and I'm a bit more risk averse if you like and uh, and he was, I think he was trying to tell me that I had to, I, I could write a book in two weeks if I wanted to. <laughs> I didn't really fancy doing that. So to bat him <laughs> off, I just went, well, I've got a title for something because the year before I'd been going through my stuff and moths had eaten my Doctor Who scarf I, as a kid out in the countryside I had knitted the bulk of a Doctor Who scarf my nan had ran a wool shop and lots of spare bits of wool kicking around after she died That's a and, and we, absolutely <laughs> Begonia Pope and, yes. uh, and and so I did that as something to do when that was just me and mum left in, in that old house in the countryside mm. and so it was quite good for fancy dress parties but I never really wore it mm. you know, out much or anything and, <laughs> Friday um, nights uh, yeah and uh, and so it had gone in a box and I was just going through some stuff and there it was, eaten by moths. And so I chucked it away immediately. It's got the horrible smell of sort of dusty mm. decay. And I remember thinking that that's a good title for something, yeah. not about Doctor Who actually, oh, but yeah. about about dashed childhood expectations, yes, yep, about the reality of adulthood, about um, the failure of the imagination and all of those mm. things. So I said to well, him, I've got this title, Moth St. My Doctor Who Scarf, and he said, do it as an Edinburgh show. And I went, I can't, I haven't got the money, I've got a young family, I, I run a, a non-profit-making comedy club, which is the thing I'm best known for, which is great, but it doesn't actually mean I'm particularly fiscally sound. Had He had been a comedian and an actor and run a theatre company, but had... Um, with his zeal, had um, had started a couple of businesses, uh, and he said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't my business? Why not my business sponsor your Edinburgh show? That's fantastic. So it's tax deductible for yes. me. You at least just you know you're not you're you're not saying to your family, I'm going oh, away and so losing cool. fifteen grand. I'm yes. not bringing anything in for a month, but I'm covered. Much so. Better. So he did that, and on the proviso that he well not on the proviso, but he said, and I'll direct it. And that doesn't mean he went right at that point. 
turn left or sit down or whatever. He was more, he was another eye and he came to all the previews and that was where I, I had all these highfalutin ideas that it was because it was about Doctor Who, it was, a bit, it was a time travel, so it was in four episodes and episode four was set after episode one, two but done before it, so it was all time. So some jokes weren't backwards and all that sort of Brilliant Love ideas, mm. uh, except for for an audience who wants to watch some stand-up comedy. And I yes. learned that uh, doing the previews and... and it's and translating it, isn't it? Absolutely. So, so it makes it accessible, and like making Doctor Who accessible for absolutely. somebody who's never watched Doctor Who before. Well, and that was the thing that made the show work, was that after mm. one preview, Mark just went... Right. <laughs> do the story. Let's... Do the story from A to B. Um, you know, not from A to G to C to D, then to B. Uh, and he said, take out any jokes that are just about Doctor. We had a whole fifteen-minute section that made us howl, which was a complete <laughs> and utter history of Doctor Who in fifteen minutes, <laughs> right. which was just a, 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 a duologue, but done by me of me mm. having a conversation between yeah. two people about what Doctor Who was. And he said, take out any joke that is about Doctor Who that doesn't relate to something that has happened to you in your life. Yeah. So then it became about my dad leaving. The start point was. Sort of my dad leaving when I was four um, and then there were all those rites of passage things of Doctor Who was taken off the air at about the time I was a university student so there's all that thing about you know you're moving away from home and the one thing you like isn't there anymore and then the culture shifts as well as I become you know an adult watching stuff and making stuff and then my that's where the anger comes in and yes. the rants about reality TV and all that sort of thing <laughs> and then I come and I have my own kids and Doctor Who comes back and the story comes full circle of what what you do as a you know having not known what to do as a dad because I didn't have a role model in that regard except for Doctor Who mm. but Doctor Who then comes back and I end up watching Doctor Who with my kids so that mm. gave it the story mm. and that was what I think led to it having far more good reviews than I would have imagined because yeah. everybody came to see it and went well I was expecting a show that was about Doctor Who and it was about more than that so it was mm. a pleasant surprise well it was, it was addi additional surprise and pleasure for me and uh, for somebody who'd never been to Edinburgh before I was looking at all the different titles thinking what's going to draw me and I don't know what these things are going to be like I mean I went to a couple of very very dodgy productions but you know it was experimentation and stuff but as soon as I saw that I thought right that's it and uh, that made my Edinburgh I must oh, say good. It made my oh, Edinburgh Nice. And it must be said, but also you were one of the pioneers. I mean, now there's quite a few different um, comedians who are doing Doctor Who-related material, but I, I think you were you were up there with the, one of the first people. Yeah, I can't complain. I mean, uh, nothing is off limits. I remember, a, remember when I was starting out, a, a Manchester comic got a bit sniffy about me because I, I did a joke about... Um, homeless people it wasn't anti-homeless people it was right. about people's attitudes towards homeless people oh, which is and perfectly he, fine and he went he went oh he's doing that I, I do jo I do jokes about homeless people he's nicked that off me and you go well, no you, you can't you can't claim a subject <laughs> yes, as broad absolutely. as completely different jokes mm. but because he was doing that as if I'd watched him and gone ah yes the issue of homelessness that's mm. not one that's ever been tapped yeah, before absolutely. so I can't I mean I do I do I am slightly rueful that now everyone's coming out of the closet that I mm. came out of first he's not one of them is he back there in the wardrobe uh, well, listen up. Um, I, I think I need to. Um, I, I always have to point out that it's relatively early on in the evening that uh, I'm not a homosexual. Um, I'm, I'm frequently mistaken for one, and I'm not. I'm just terribly dapper. Um, but, but the reason I bring that up is uh, is because. Uh, I feel, uh, I feel, at this point in the evening, I should come out of the closet. But uh, my closet is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, because uh, I'm a Doctor Who fan. 
And um, last year, uh, I was doing a comedy on stage in Los Angeles. That's exciting, isn't it? A little old Tweedy me with a corduroy boy in LA doing uh, stand-up comedy. And I'm going to spoil I was doing stand-up comedy in LA at a Doctor Who convention. Uh, it's it really, isn't it? That's like saying, yes, I had a sexy night of fashion. Did you tell me? Yes, with Pam Ayers. How different do you think your life would be if Doctor Who hadn't have come back? And could you have still done Moths based on 26 years of Who? I, I think I could have done Moths. I think it would have been a far angrier show. And in mm. fact, the original show that I wrote hadn't quite got used to the fact that Doctor Who was well-loved. Because that was the other thing, was during the previews, we, was, we were sort of going, people were going, but why are you so angry? Doctor Who's back and it's brilliant. And you're going, oh, oh yeah, I need to stop trying to fight the battles mm. of Michael Grade and all those people that are Noel's house party who took the mickey out of the show and said, oh, because most of the audience were going, why is he so angry? Because Doctor Who's back and it's brilliant yeah. so uh, that was a bit of a lesson to learn that I was trying to right past wrongs mm. with the comedy and, and that gave it an unnecessary anger <laughs> I um, loved it so there would have been a lot more of that still some of it crept in uh, mm. but there would have been a lot more of that and I think it would have been more of a pie to how television used to be made and should be made yeah. Uh, whereas actually Doctor Who led, coming back led a renaissance of imaginative television and mm. writer-led television and all those sorts of things that it that it spearheaded. So, uh, And also, I, I wonder if anybody would have bothered yeah. to come and see it. <laughs> You're listening to the frankly magnificent Toby Haydock on this week's SMS Online. And don't forget that all our shows are both 100% free and 100% downloadable. So if you're enjoying this or any other in the series, do spread the word and share on all your wonderful social network sites. We're available on SoundCloud by searching for SNS Online, MixCloud by searching for me, Nick Randall, and further contact is possible via our Facebook page, SNS Online, or Twitter, which is Scratch and Tweet. Hang on, what's that sound? Time spillage. And now on BBC One, the Dalek invasion of Earth, in which the Earth gets invaded by the Daleks. So, Toby, you said you trained as an actor, so essentially that is in your blood, and that's what you've been doing periodically as well as the comedy. I mean, what sort of stuff have you been doing? I, I did read that you were a vicar in Coronation Street. Oh, I, I don't well, know if you were burying or marrying I anybody. was married. I married Curly Watts. Curly uh, Watts, yeah. fantastic. Christmas Eve, 2000 and something or other. Um, 2000 even, maybe. Mm. Um, that was a very early telly for me. I've been in Coronation Street three to as a as an actor who spends a lot of his time in Manchester and sounds like I do. Right. Uh, if Coronation Street need a professional, I've been a vicar, a doctor, and a, and a, law and a lawyer. Um, best period. I had a couple of good good period on telly where I was um, in the space of two and a half weeks. I think I filmed Casualty 1907. I remember ca that Casualty set in. The Casualty, modern day series Casualty, but set in the olden days. Were you a tag on the toad uh, drop? Or? And then, uh, no, no, I was. I played Dr. Leonard Fantastic. Hill, who was a real person. It was a lovely part. I had my own uh, uh, Edwardian outfit and I had a decontamination chamber, so I had my own I private see. capsule. So oh, I was very you're basically, doctor, yeah, very yes. Doctor Who. Uh, and the, a Rock couple and of weeks roll. later, I, I recorded The Royal Today, which was the royal period drama, but okay. brought up to date and set in the modern oh, day. I so I did that. two medical dramas yeah. with a time travel element. Yes. And I was thinking, well, is this, this is, is going to be the third? Well, surely there's a pattern now. <laughs> um, and a friend of mine said, well, if they make Holby City 1066, you'll be fine. Scratch and sniff. 
I do Christmas quite a lot because I did Christmas in Corrie. I did Christmas thing I did about the Titanic was on at Christmas. And I was in the Christmas episode of Holby City where I played a science fiction fan um, who had reversed heart and lungs and needed a transplant. But his storyline was that he always watched The Matrix on Christmas Day and he needed somewhere to watch The Matrix. And in the audition where I was up against actually somebody that had been in Doctor Who. And um, I said, look, if you want him to be a real science fiction fan, 18 times is nothing. It will be 118 times. And and actually, they changed the script accordingly. I love Um, it. I love it. So I did that, and I do a lot for BBC Radio. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly in and out of BBC Radio. BBC um, Four Extra now, of course. And, and I, 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 I present yeah. for Four Extra, which is lovely. I wish they'd give us back our, our Monday to Sunday slot, um, which has been removed at the whim of a controller and for no reason, no other reason. But let's, let's not get, get a Facebook that. campaign starting here. Exterminate! So even in your acting, Doctor Who seems to be filtering through somehow, telling you something. Now, my next question to you is this. Have you already privately cast yourself in a television episode of Doctor Who? I know you've been on Big Finish. And uh, can you give us an indication of who or what that character would be, just in case Stephen Moffat is listening? <laughs> well, of course, the reason, I, the reason I went into the business was because I always I wanted to play Doctor Who. Um, right. now, now reality has sort of crashed in, and you sort of go, well, I have to probably... Well, no, I have to... Oh, you're younger than Capaldi. That that ship has sailed, I think. He's had a slightly more illustrious career (laughs) than I have. You're Uh, doing fine. But I think it's about... Well, you um, played the racialist, didn't you? I, I did. did. I did, but that, yeah, ca- that, came, that came in a re- very roundabout fashion. Mm. Um, uh, a very roundabout fashion. I was. Um, I can say it now because I'm not with that agent anymore, but oh, I, um, right. I was in America doing a Doctor Who convention and I got a, I got a, a, a text from my then agent saying, um, when are you back from America? I've got a casting for you, Andy Pryor. Mm who is the casting director of Doctor Who. So I said, well, I'm not back till next Friday, but if it's for Doctor Who, I'll, I'll, I'll fly back early. And she said, oh, if it's for Doctor Who, I'll fly you back myself. So I went, oh. Anyway, <laughs> I, was back, I was back a couple of weeks later and an uh, assistant called me about something else. And I said, well, just so I know where I am with this, mm. if I need to follow it up with a letter or an email or something, what was it that Andy Pryor wanted to see me for and what sort of part so that I you know, I know if stuff comes up? And she went, oh, yeah, that was for a drama about the making of Doctor Who. And I said... You know when I said, if it's for Doctor Who, did nobody in the office go, you know it's not for actual Doctor Who, but it is sort of related. Mm. Should we tell him that it's related to Doctor Who? So I went... Get rid of it. I went... But I went, what the... <laughs> but fortunately, I was meeting Mark Gatiss the okay. following week because I'm writing a book about Quatermass and he <gasps> likes oh, wow. Quatermass yes. and was in the remake. And so I relayed this story to him and he went, well, we haven't actually cast it all yet. We've done most of the casting. Go right for top. Still, a, still a couple of bits up for grabs. Yeah, well, and, I th- and he said, yeah. well, we'll definitely get you in. And he followed up with an email saying, I've had a word with Andy and when we're doing the next one. Mm. So anyway, then it, Christmas came and went. And so mm. I emailed my agent and went, look... Um, he definitely said, and he followed it up, so he wasn't just mm. being nice over lunch. Um, should we chase this up? And she said, no, they've cast it. I said, no, I know they've done the first round of casting, but Mark Gatiss said, and she said, sent a fucking email, I went, well, if you want to tell your friend to give me a ring, and I went, he's not my <laughs> friend, it's Mark it's like, So, and eventually, so I got the audition. Why am I thinking of extras here? <laughs> oh, so I got the audition for the, I think the only part that was left, which was for the for the guy that played all yep. the monsters. Um, and he's a Cyberman, and he's a caveman, oh, and he's right. a Dalek. And, um, and it said, you know, Les, I think it was called... Len is tall. Well, they had his white teeth whitened. That was the other guy. Yeah, right? yeah, that was that, that was him. He yes. was that was him as well. Uh, and so I went, and it was written as this sort of very camp 
thing. I actually knew a couple of people that auditioned for it, and they said, "Oh, it's this very sort of cam factory type." Mm. I thought, "Well, I could do that." Yeah. Um, and then, and I, but it said, "Len is tall," and then blah blah blah. And I went in and I did it with camp, and the director said, "Oh, I, don't, I think camp's too obvious. Can you do something else? Can you do it?" I said, "Well, I can do it northern." He said, "No, I think can you do it Cockney?" So I went, "All right," because Doctor Who has a history of Cockneys like Pat Gorman and um, yeah, yeah. Harry H. Fielder, who were mm-hmm. sort of extras, and so it turned into this sort of enthusiastic guy who kept trying to, you know, buff up his part, yes. buff up his part. And I'm, and we mucked around with it, and I did it all, and and uh, and it went really. Well. And I was in for a while, and, we, and it and it felt really good. But he's tall, and he's got to play a Cyberman, and he's got to play a Minopja. And I thought, and he's tall, and even though they got him playing a Dalek as well, but that's to save on the parts and the, and to give that character continuity. I thought he's gonna. And uh, Mark Gator sent me an email and said, "Will you give me a ring?" And I thought. Go, he's not gonna. Go. He's not gonna. He's not doing that to tell me I've got it. Uh, he's just being nice because he is the nicest man in the world. And he said, "Look, we've we loved what you did, but." And I said, "You've gone for somebody tall, haven't you?" And he went, "Yeah." <laughs> uh, and he's actually the husband, the husband of an actress I've worked with. And okay. so I'm. It was always pleasing when you know somebody nice has got something that you're after. But Mark said, "But look, because I've read the script." He said, "There's this barman." Um, which isn't really much of a part, but I figured you'd rather be in it than not. Mm. And I went, yeah, all right, I'll I'll do the barman. The barman originally only had one line. I think I ended up with about four, but they <laughs> Squeeze, sort of, they, beef, them out. <laughs> they beefed they beefed it up a little bit for me. And I went for lunch with Mark and mm. the producer and Warris Hussain. Wow. So you know, Johnny No Part, you know, mm. is 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 there. On, on the big bus with, with the director of the first ever episode of yes, Doctor Who and, and Mark Gatiss. And then on the studio floor, Mark comes up and goes, what's your name? And I went, what do you mean? He said, well, Barman's going to look a bit naff on IMDb, isn't it? So why don't you choose? So the Barman is named Cyril, Cyril. after Cyril Shapps, uh, who had four yes. roles in Doctor Who. Yes, of course. Uh, four lines. So, so that's, why <laughs> I'm, that's why I'm Cyril rather than Barman. Uh, so it was that was... That, and and uh, at that point... The footage of William Hartnell, that the only existing yes, footage absolutely. of him being himself, was coming out on DVD, and I knew it existed, oh. but I hadn't seen it. Right. But and I was talking to David Bradley and said, "So you know, did you watch much Doctor?" And he said, "Well, there's this this interview," and I went, "Oh yeah, I can't wait. That's coming out in a couple of months." Mm. And he went, "Oh, I've got it on my on my tablet." Mm. So we're outside while he's having a fag, <laughs> uh, and I'm watching uh, on. David Bradley, as David Bradley is dressed as William Hartnell, William Hartnell. watching William Hartnell <laughs> on his tablet. That is very surreal. Uh, fantastic. What, what a really surreal nice. moment. Really nice. That's fantastic. Yeah, to, to, to be part of the anniversary yeah. um, was very nice. Mm. I, yeah. Yeah, that was nice. I was, yeah, I did. I was slightly miffed that, and this is more about comedy than anything else. That they had various sort of fiftieth anniversary shows where comedians, comedian. who've never watched Doctor Who, were waxing lyrical about Doctor yes. Who, and I did think, oh come on, surely somebody somewhere. And they did actually ask, check my availability for the main documentary, and then just never phoned me back. Mm. And I, I made myself available. And because I did everybody think, would would have wanted you to well, to, to do it, and I you would have done it brilliantly. I would have hoped so, but clearly nobody did enough. And mm. I think that. It's more about how, you know, certain agencies have, I'm afraid, even a public service broadcaster like the BBC yeah. sewn up. Because it was on BBC Three, wasn't it, this documentary? Yeah. And I suppose they're thinking of a young demographic and they want somebody who looks like he's just come out of teenagehood or whatever. I don't know. 
I suppose so. But they had plenty of talking heads. And when and when they launched Capaldi, I mean, I've worked with Shappy Course Andy many a times. Mm. We've never talked about the androids of Tara. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and she's suddenly there, you know, giving her opinion on who should be the new Doctor Who. Mm. And you go, uh, really? I'm really terrified that it's Harry Styles. So that's just a... Pr- I'm, I'm but, generally but quite optimistic, but I, do, but I just do think that sort of thing. And I don't just count myself for that. Well, there are some genuinely political comedians on the circuit, for example, mm. who never crop up on Have I Got News For You because yeah. they're not with those two or three agencies. And I think that that's paucity of imagination and a slight neglect of duty. So we wanted to uh, hook up with you guys and we just wanted to say congratulations on such a great anniversary and a, it's a big part of uh, British culture, some would say, Doctor Who. Yes, yes, and very true. Very true now. You are now live. You can speak to and you can speak to Jenna and Stephen and John Hurt. What are your questions, boys? Very true now. You are now live. You can speak to... Scratch and sniff. Online! With Nick Randall. Twas brilling, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. Oh, Mimsy were the borough groves, and the momraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son. The jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird and shun the flea. Master of Disguise, Toby Haydock there with a blast of Jabberwocky. We also strongly suggest you check his website out, tobyhaydock.com. You'll learn loads. Okay, it's Desert Island Risks now with my special guest, Toby Haydock. Basically, we're offering a track or two for you that uh, might resonate personally, professionally, or just because it makes your feet tap. Over to you, Tobes. Well, I'm going to do two, if I may. Yay! Um, I'm going to choose Mr. Blue Sky by ELO because it holds a lot of resonance for me because it, uh, Love and Monsters was a Doctor Who episode that featured that quite yes. heavily. I was writing or putting the finishing touches to my, set, my Doctor Who scarf when that was on, so I'd sometimes listen, have it on to write to and I actually featured in the show and actually in this first draft stage of my Radio 4 play it features but um, we might not get the rights for it I don't know but uh, uh, and it's a great song and it's a positive song and it's a it's a foot tapper but it's also about it's 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 very difficult to be optimistic sometimes and I find cynicism is very easy uh, and sometimes I think it's worth trying to remind ourselves of seeing the joy in things because I think quite often in our, in our public discourse people moan an awful lot and we have very little to moan about if all things are relative to what they are
Hello and Mr. Blue Sky. You're listening to SNS Online with my special guest, Toby Haydock. Hello, it's part two of my interview with Boris Hussain. I'm Toby Haydock. I'm in the same line of business as my guest today, but I haven't scaled his heights. You could say I'm in the Conference League of Gentlemen. Hello, it's part four of my Who's Round interview with Russell T. Davis. If you're one of those people that only tunes in for these ones and hasn't bothered with, say, Edward D'Souza or Brian Crouch or Margot Hayhoe, then I think you're an awful human being. Enjoy. 
So let's talk about some of your podcasts that you've done for the magnificent Big Finish Productions. You've covered such a huge range of talent um, in the last, uh, well, like couple of years, I think. I mean, you're trying to tick off somebody from every single story. How, have you completed that now? I've, yeah, I actually completed it in the year I was, well, that, this, this is breaking news because I've, <laughs> I've tried to keep it a secret. But, but my, my, my task was I'd been, I'd been ill, my psoriasis had kicked in. I then reacted very badly to some medication. And then my personal life went a bit doolally. And I had a terrible Christmas and I was at my mum's house feeling very sorry for myself. And it was about to enter Doctor Who's 50th year. And, yeah, I was about... and I Because I, 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 my birthday's on the 2nd of January. Right. So I was about to turn 39. And um, somebody tweeted, a chap called John Keefe from America. Hello, John. He tweeted, my wish for Doctor Who's 50th anniversary is that Toby Haydock interviews everybody from Doctor Who. Because I've m- sort of made a habit on the DVDs of, of doing yes. the DVD commentary moderation and, and, and trying to... And some of your wonderful DVD extras well, yeah, talking about the, the stories. And Fantastic. Tr- and trying to turn the spotlight on people that aren't interviewed as yeah. often as, mm. as, as some other people might be. So I, so I went, well, I could do that. Um, how about it, Nick Briggs? Because I mm-hmm. thought, well, because I'm technically incompetent, so I thought well, there's no way I can get it out there unless somebody gets gets behind it. And he mm. went, yeah, okay. So it was all very much sort of. And then I said, well, I, I and I, I, I think I was at my mum's house when I thought it. I said, I can't, I can't interview everyone from Doctor Who, but I could try and get a first-hand anecdote from every Doctor Who story because I mm. thought, well, I've got Fraser Hines's number, and that takes care of all of Patrick Troughton's stories by one. <laughs> I know Louise Jameson. I know Annika Will. She's in the other Patrick Troughton stories. So that's Troughton sorted. Uh, and I, so I thought I'd do it like. That because not it's not that, only actors; it's also a cameraman. Yes, and, yes, you know, anybody. Just a, so the, the the task was an anecdote, a first-hand anecdote from somebody who worked on every single Doctor Who story. Um, but the, you know that person could have worked on more than one. So then I started putting feelers out, and a couple of Andrew Smith, who wrote Full Circle, a Tom Baker story, is somebody I'm in very often in touch with. So he immediately said, "I'll help you." And um, a friend of mine, Kevin Davis, knew Sue Moore and Steve Mansfield, who did visual effects. So he said, well, "I'm going to the pub with them next week. Why don't we do it there?" So that sort of kickstarted it, and a few fans then started getting in touch with me and offering me addresses and contacts with people, some of whom weren't the usual suspects. And I very, I was a bit drunk watching a compilation called The Doctor Who Years and we got to the Colin Baker era and his first terrible story called The Twin <laughs> Dilemma and and Kevin McNally, brilliant actor, does this sort of yes. fall to his knees, fall unconscious sort of bit and I just a bit pissed went on Twitter and went, does anyone know Kevin McNally? And my friend Robert Ross, who's a writer, went, yeah, Sarah Pinborough does. I didn't know who Sarah Pinborough was. She's a fine writer. I've since bought some of her books. I've still never met her. And she went, yeah, here's, you know, and put me in touch with Kevin. And so then I emailed Kevin and he went, yeah, I'll do it. And I went to his house. He was just, just really easy going about, yeah, come to my house. Wow. Went to his house. Yeah, come on, let's, um, let's go up and have a drink. Blah, 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 blah. And because I was talking to Kevin McNally, who was in four episodes of Doctor Who, well, I can't just ask him about Doctor Who. So I asked him about all sorts and got a really nice view of the man. And he was so game and he was so easy and he was so funny and he was so wore his talent very lightly, actually, in a very nice fashion. And I thought, oh, I'm onto something here. Yes, it gave me confidence to continue it. It gave me confidence to continue it, that somebody who, you know, he's in all six Pirate of the Caribbean films. I mean, he's worked for the, played Alan Bennett at the National Theatre. He's just doing Hancock on the radio. I mean, this is this is not just some jobbing character actor. This right. is a major British actor. Yeah. Um, th- so the fact that he gave his time was good, but it was more the fact that he talked to me very in- interestingly and was quite keen to talk about other stuff that he did so well and eloquently that I thought, 
I always find Doctor Who fans who only give a monkeys about Doctor Who mm. miss the point of the show. If you're yeah. so tunnel visioned and parochial about it, you've missed the point of a show that says go beyond your boundaries, yeah. search out everything else. So I thought, well, well I love Blake Seven as well, I'm, you know, and the <laughs> Tomorrow People. So what I did was I then thought, well, I'll do career interviews with these people where sometimes we yeah. might not touch upon Doctor Who, and then I'll I'll have sort of a, accumulated this spoken word archive mm. of people that have worked in television and film and theatre over the past fifty years. Some of whom are you know glorified extras. Some of whom are major actors, Kevin McNally, Zoe Wanamaker, various people that. Some of whom are you know good, straightforward character actors that have been in everything. And then, as you say, I then I got I got invited to a BBC Tech Ops um, reunion and met oh. like the cameraman who played the first Dalek point of view, and and a couple of other cameramen and a sound guy. And so suddenly I'm getting I put in touch with a few floor managers and production assistants. So suddenly I'm getting the the recorded vocal history of the BBC yes, yeah. from from people who work which as a document for, for abs- the future absolutely. is so so valuable. Uh, and, so valuable. And and most of the ones I released are only half an hour long, but some of these people I've interviewed for one, two, three hours. Mm. So I've got this repository of stuff that I started doing in the first week of 2013, and the last interview I conducted was on the 22nd of December 2013. Mm. So I did complete the task. But Big Finish have many other fish to fry. This doesn't earn them any money. They they get released when they can and when mm. I've had time to edit them and all that sort of thing. So that's fine that it's a it's it's ongoing as a project that's being released. And there are some people that had agreed to meet me in 2013 that we never quite got round to that when I've been able to fit it in, uh, I've interviewed them just as much for my own pleasure as anything mm. else and they will be added to the roster. Mm. So, for example, I did Linda Bellingham yes. this year. Uh, I'm Linda Bellingham. And I played the Inquisitor in the Trial of the Time Lord series when Colin Baker was Doctor Who, um, 13 episodes. Which was um, wonderful. Uh, and, you know. yeah, we were able to release that in the week that she died. But now that exists forever now. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's done. Like... And I, inter- I've, I think up to now I've interviewed, I think in the year I did it, I interviewed 167 people. I think I've done another 20 since this year. Um, so, obviously, I've slackened the pace off a bit. So, But I think I've done 187 people, and mm. I I'm not quite sure now how I managed to do it. And I got paid nothing. But also you, you're, you're dealing with people who were part of the golden age of TV. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is amazing. People who worked on set cars and all these big shows. Yeah. And, um, did you ever speak to Alex Sabin? No, I didn't. Uh, who no. played Ringway? No, oh, I've never right. found him. I must, uh, I must pass you on to him. I mean, basically his story was uh, that he was working with Beryl Reed, who had not a clue what was going on. And um, she had to do this long technical speech, and he was in shot. Every time she'd get it wrong. And finally, she got the take absolutely right. And Alex Saban in the background going, like that. I just ruined it, ruined the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's um, it's going beyond the Doctor Who. In fact, he's a yep. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yes, you know. Yeah, yeah, he did yeah, stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. I'd love to do him. Oh, well, there you go, as the actress says for Bishop. Scratch and sniff. Online! With Nick Randall. Tell us about some of the writing you've been doing. Um, have you actually written for Big Finish? No, th- we had this conversation the other day. I was recording a Big Finish project I can't talk about at the moment. Oh, the other day. can we tickle you? Um, and I, I mean, it's nothing exciting. I'm, I'm in one, but I just mm. can't say anything about what it is. You've been in a few, haven't I've you? Been, I've been very fortunate. You can't speak to her. Get out! Oh, I think she'll want to speak to me. In fact, I know she will. No, she won't speak to you. She will. Shut up! What makes you think she'll speak to you? We have something in common, you see. What? What do you mean? You've got nothing in common with her. She's my wife. She won't speak to you. She won't speak to any of you. I've um, 
Yes, I've been in a fair few. I've been rather spoiled. I've worked with Tom Baker and Sylvester McCoy and Peter Davison. Oh, just uh, uh, while you're mentioning that, has there been anybody you've been genuinely tongue-tied by um, meeting your heroes? Just just as a little sidestep. Um, funny enough, I did a really good Who's Round the other day, and I find the more sort of ebullient and entertaining they are, the worse I am. <laughs> so I think I'm actually quite good at getting good stuff out of people who are a bit reticent or can't remember much, and I sort of coax it out. But the minute that onus is, it's a bit like being a compare of a comedy club. You, the, When the pressure's on, you dig deep and you do it yeah. because that's your job. So I was interviewing Clive Merrison the other day, who's brilliant, yeah. and uh, I was so pleased we got him because we didn't get him for the DVDs. So I was really pleased that he'd right. agreed to do my project and we met in Joe Allen's, so it was really oh, actually. Cool. And he was so good that I was a bit, and, and so easy going and so mm. nice that I, the status was such that I was a bit of a gibbering idiot <laughs> and I thought oh, he's going to have thought I was I didn't I don't think I was remotely funny I was a bit I wasn't particularly clued up I, I, names of actors you know it just didn't all quite mm. come um, so the, basically the more self-possessed and uh, chummy and nice and naturally entertaining they are the worse yeah, I am yeah. I don't know why I did an interview a couple of weeks ago where I sounded like a 12 year old doing a school project and I just didn't know where all this insecurity came from just ridiculous and it's not somebody intimidating you it's no, somebody no, no, no. being really easy and nice mm. I find that extraordinary mm. um, with acting jobs it's I have a job to do so it's fine I would like to think my professionalism kicks in so mm. so that if you've got something to hide behind it's mm. easier but talking about the writing then just because just, just that was the original question apparently you've written an afternoon play or you you are in the process uh, of a little bird tells I me. I have just on the train on the way here. I've just been putting the finishing touches to she the dies. first draft <laughs> of an afternoon play that has to be handed in on Monday and is in to be decent shape to be torn <laughs> to bits and sent back. Um, I've, it's for a producer at BBC Radio Manchester called Charlotte Richards, who's brilliant, who um, Hello, who uh, produced. A thing I did a few years ago called the Fact of Fiction, which was that wasn't a full. That was a fifteen-minute play where I went in on the Monday and we went over the new stories of the day. You choose a new story and decide to look at what ideas you can do with it. Finalise that on the Monday evening, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you write it. Friday, you record it. Saturday, it's broadcast. And that was just a fifteen-minute wow. play, uh, and Charlotte championed me for that because she liked Mothsape, my Doctor Who scarf, mm. which she'd read before she was a producer. I think she was a script reader at the BBC. She didn't know anything about Doctor. Who, but just liked because moths. For those listening who don't know moths, my Doctor Who stuff became a radio series for BBC Seven. This is the BBC, and moths ate my Doctor Who scarf, in which a Doctor Who scarf gets eaten by some moths. The CD was by BBC Audiobooks, and that was just a deal that Audiobooks did with um, with BBC Seven because they have no budgets. And of course, uh, it must be referenced that your mother was played by the delightful Louise Jameson. Yes, hmm? we we went out and offered it. We had on our show. We off we went out and offered it to. I'd never met Louise before that. Um, we just said, "Usually dream casting," and so I thought mm, it'd be absolutely. nice to have somebody from Doctor Who in, and she's mm. such a terrific actress. And we were recording it, and she happened to be. In Berry doing Absurd Person Singular or some such, okay. an Aikbourne or something, mm. and uh, that week with Colin Baker. So then we hoiked right. Colin in to do a cameo as well. Brilliant. So that worked Brilliant. out very nicely. I'll tell you what I think you should do. You should write yourself a sitcom and have a version of yourself called Toby. And, uh, you know, think of the, the Hancock angle, but, but think of a Doctor Who as well and, and make it a smash hit. Toby's half hour. That'd be nice. There you go. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Let, let's uh, hassle you again in a year's time. So see if sl- that's slightly happened. unfortunate science fiction fan bumping into things. Yeah, there absolutely. It'd be a showstopper.
Okay, Toby, we're going to do a Doctor Who mastermind for you. Are you up for the challenge? Yes, I have to say, because uh, people say that <laughs> I'm this expert on Doctor Who. I've never said I am. All I did in my one-man show was illustrate that I had this slightly autistic brain by the fact that I can remember the name of every actor that's ever been in Doctor Who. But I never cla- I've never claimed expertise. This has been a mantle thrust upon me. <laughs> so um, if I fail, I fail. I think if, if the, you know, the, the world was in danger, it was just about to explode, and it uh, rested on you to get us out by getting a reasonable score, I would put my faith in you, Toby. All right, let's see. I would do, I would do. I mean, I'll give you an example of a question before we actually start. Um, who uh, was second Dolly Grit best boy the 1967 story <laughs> The Doom of Rassilon's member it was John Smythe comedy bronze okay let's go into it we need to uh, dim the lights add an intimidating reverb get a spotlight on Toby sorry I'm just speaking to producer Toby yeah yeah one of the floods oh don't worry your eyes will get used to that Eventually, so just relax, enjoy, focus on me, and don't get distracted by anything happening directly behind you. Don't turn around. I'm behind you, Toby. I'm right Don't look. Don't look at me. One look and you will die. Oh, I can. Sorry, can somebody close that window? Thank you. Sorry, Tobes. So my first contestant, please. And your name? Toby Haydock. <laughs> uh, and your profession? Um, Everything. A, a professional geek. And your specialist subject today? Doctor Who. Fantastic. <laughs> You've got two minutes to answer questions about Doctor Who, starting now. What was the forename of Rose Tyler's mother? Uh, Jackie. Correct. What companion of the Doctor was a journalist for Metropolitan magazine? Sarah Jane Smith. Correct. In which story did Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart utter the immortal line, Jenkins chap with wings there five rounds rapid? Correct. From which planet do the Ice Warriors come from? Mars. Correct. In Enlightenment, what was the name of Captain Stryker's ship? Uh, Oh, the Buccaneer is the other one. Uh, uh, Oh. The clock is ticking. Pass. Pass for that one. Okay. In the Doctor Who movie, what opera was Grace about Madame to see? Butterfly. Correct. Finish the quote. I'm tired of being an outsider, Doctor. Um. I'll give you a clue. It didn't go well. I want to go home. Um. I want to go back to my own people. Okay, we'll give you that. We'll give oh, you that. Oh, it's Romana, isn't it? No, 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 no it was it was Adric. Adric. Oh, yes. Poor, t- poor, outsider, yes. Poor little Adric. Oh, just, oh, and they have a row in Earthshot. Just, yeah. just having a moment. Uh, <clears throat> Name three stories that Douglas Adams wrote. Um, City of Death, mm-hmm. uh, The Pirate Planet, mm-hmm. and Sharda. Shard account? Yes, it certainly does count. Correct. Uh, which story does Roger Delgado's wife provide her voice? The Planet of the Spiders. Correct. Um, what was the 100th story to be broadcast? 
Um, uh, the Stones of Blood. Correct. What was the second segment of Akita Time disguised as? Oh, the Panic Caliphrax. Yes, correct. What was the name of a villainous Time Lady played by Kate O'Mara? Correct. And what musical instrument was played by the second Doctor? The recorder. Correct. Which famous writer... Oh, I'll start it so I finish. Which famous writer was chased by a Vestiform? Oh, uh, Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Correct. So, Toby, you managed to score 13 points, uh, one pass. In enlightenment, what was the name of Captain Stryker's ship? It was the SS Shadow. But congratulations, oh. 13 points for Toby Haydock. Yeah, I thought you were generous with the uh, Edric one. Um, the sh- <laughs> Shadow. Mm. Mm. Apparently. So I'd have got, back in the day, I'd have got that. <laughs> OK, Toby, time for music choice number two. Well, uh, a newer song that makes me tap my feet is Ooh, That Man by Caro Emerald, which was featured in a Radio 4 play I did called Tinsel Girl, which is where I met my partner, who uh, I'm just moving in with and (gasps) um, doing... So that's a song for the future, and that's something Are we allowed allowed to say hello to to Izzy from Coronation Street? You can if you want. Ah. Hello, Izzy from Coronation (laughs) Street. Lovely Shirley Houston, of course. And so that's one that I identify very much with with that scenario and an artist that I didn't know about uh, until we, um, you know, first started seeing each other and listened to those as we, you know, skirted around talking to each other over a glass of wine late at night. Mm. So um, uh, that's that's the one that's taking me forward if Mr Blue Sky is enabling me to look back.
I've been calling you for about two days now, and I uh, I want to see you, darling. I really do, you know, because I think of you, and uh, all of me kind of goes a little bit crazy. So uh, I believe it's a match, darling. You should phone me, and we will have a night in the Casbah that neither of us will ever forget. A beautiful evening of love, lust, and paradise. You can make it nice. Call me back on Riverside Four. Ciao, ciao. Ooh, that man by Caro Emerald. You're listening to Toby Haydock on SNS Online. Okay, Toby, if you could have uh, an ultimate Doctor Who dinner party, uh, characters from any any uh, era of the show, or actors, alive or dead, you have up to six people to choose. Who would you choose? Oh, It could gosh. be Shakespeare, it could be... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so anybody that's been in any way involved with Doctor Who, even fictionally. Mm. So, um, well, I think you, you, you have to have Shakespeare because it would be fascinating to, to him and Absolutely. probably find out he was... Because, you know, you idolise somebody who was either a bore... Well, he would have stunk, um, but, you know, a bore or vain or, you oh, know, yeah. you, you, we, are all, we are all vulnerable at the end of the day and we cover that up in many different ways. And it's usually an unattractive character trait. Mm. Um, Patrick Troughton, because uh, he's my favourite doctor um, and because quite an... As the actor. As the actor, because he was an enigmatic... But interviews, he's very awkward in. He, uh, And and I I can't figure out from his characterisations because he was such a consummate actor, Mm. quite where the Doctor ends and Patrick Troughton begins, yes. which I think you you can with, say, John Pertwee. Mm. Um, and so I would be interested to get into the noggin of Patrick Troughton because I think he was a fascinating guy mm. and a brilliant actor. And yes, I like the company absolutely. of actors. Mm-hmm. This whole podcast thing I did was because I end up spending a lot of time with with actors, you know, mm. um, uh, and that's why I wanted to become an actor. It was not so much the process of just hanging around with actors. Mm. Um, so Roger Delgado, I think, yeah, because I was he was, um, uh, 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 you know, he was... He was a much missed actor, um, a, a fine actor, um, and one of those rare people who was involved, key involvement in Doctor Who, who actually was dead before I was born. Yes. Um, which, uh, quite, a which gentle, is, quite a gentle soul, so I, I think him. very much so, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, I mean, that's a really strange thing to think that, you know, I know the names of... Roger Delgado, lesser, but there are there are other actors yeah. who were in Doctor Who 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 you know who were dead before I was born. Yeah. But you know I, I would still write about in a book here yeah. or a yeah. thing there. And um, sometimes when you encounter family of of these people, you go, how do you know who my great uncle was? And you go, well, because he was in episode four of the Reign of Terror. And they go, that's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, so how many have we got? So that's Delgado, Trout, and William Shakespeare. Um, uh, I see, I, I any should, women? Any women? Uh, well, I suppose so. I'm not very good at talking to women. Um, <laughs> uh, I never met Verity Lambert, so maybe we go for oh, Verity yes. Lambert, um, the first producer of Doctor Who, because she was a fascinating figure. And I think John Nathan Turner, who I also never yeah. met, who was the last producer of Doctor Who, because he's proved he's always been quite a controversial figure. And I grew up hating him because he produced modern Doctor Who and modern Doctor Who wasn't as good as old Doctor Who. Whereas now I know that all Doctor Who is variable and changeable and he worked very hard under very difficult circumstances and some of his stuff is great, but he was an interesting and a divisive character. Um, So that's fine. See, I've been very Doctor Who-y. You've given me all of time and space. I have done. I've I've only gone for Shakespeare who hasn't (laughs) actually been directly involved in Doctor (laughs) Who. But Doctor Who is my favourite thing. Uh, and so who would be the last person 
I would go for... Mm. It's a toughie, isn't it? It is a toughie. Mm. I would go... I would have the master, but I just want to be, want to be killed or poisoned halfway through the meal. Oh, well, I suppose, yes, an interesting character. <laughs> ah, well, yes, who's a good character? Um... Oh, maybe Henry Gordon Jago from the Talons of Wang Chai. Oh, fantastic. He could do the after-dinner speech. Wonderful. <laughs> Very droll. I'm an artiste. Every night at this time, I feel like an old war horse scenting the smoke of the battlefield. As the house fills, the blood starts tingling through my veins. My public is out there waiting for me. You know, I do the strain it puts on a fellow. I'm just going to give you all your celebrity goodie bag now. So. But, but uh, well, uh, I sort of feel like a charlatan taking anything with the word celebrity on it. It's but, all the uh, goodies are in there, oh um, my including God. Elizabeth Shaw chocolates. My Shaw. God! Yes, that's extremely generous. You don't have to give me this. Oh, well, I uh, absolutely I do. Really? Yes. Are you sure? Everybody gets them now. But I was if just... they're on the show, they get a celebrity goodie bag. You, I mean, you asked a stand-up comedian to come in and talk about himself. It's sort of <laughs> it's largely what I do anyway. That's extremely. Well, you can kind. enjoy that. You'll have to love that. So Leicester Square, because apparently you're off to do a gig. I'm off to do the 99 Club in Leicester Square, yes. Mm. Is that a bit like 69 Club? We've just... But less exciting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> bit more straightforward. Absolutely. Toby Hedick, thank you so much for joining Scratch and Sniff tonight. That's my great pleasure. I hope it's been of vague interest to somebody. And our facts also go to the BBC and Big Finish Productions. Next week's show features the author of probably the most iconically titled 60s play ever, There's a Girl in My Soup. Terence Frisbee joins us to discuss script writing, directing and performance. But until then, from me, Nick Randall, goodbye. <laughs>